All right, so today we're going to continue with our series. At the very top, it says Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel. We are in element six, which is, you could call it receiving Jesus Christ, or responding to the gospel, or key components and exchanges. Uh, so we're going to look in a week or two at the fact that uh, what in essence it means to be a Christian is to, on a daily practical way, is trade your life for Christ's life. To, to have it be that you've been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I who live, but the life that I live in the flesh. I live by trusting in, relying on, clinging to, letting the resurrected Christ live his life through me. And so... <clears throat> um, Well, that's uh, coming up in a couple weeks. Um, we're on element 6Q, which has got a long title, Grace-Based Versus Performance-Based Approaches to Walking with God. We've been talking about for this will be the third week just on what grace-based versus performance-based. And what we're trying to say is that for every person, this is a lifelong journey. It's the nature of the flesh to want to live by performance-based. And so you have to reorient yourself according to the gospel in grace every day and sometimes more than once a day. And so, uh, and that's a journey that God will help you be more gracious over time. And there we, uh, so um, today we're doing the last part of that, which is going to be to look at antidotes to performance based mindsets which you could also call keys to grace-based living. So one is more of the negative, saying it in a, in a negative way, don't live performance-based mindsets, but the positive do live grace-based mind, ways of life and mindsets. So um, just for by way of review, if you look at Roman numeral 5, almost halfway down the page, a little inch above the middle punch out, you'll see that uh, in elements 6a through m, we've looked at mostly a lot of biblical vocabulary regarding salvation. So one of the ways we try to equip you in this church, there's, there's uh, quite a few approaches we have toward this, to, re to read the whole Bible regularly and understand it for yourself, is to help you have a biblical vocabulary. Paul says that we do speak spiritual thoughts among those who are mature, but in order to do so, we must combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Um, so, that's in 1 Corinthians 2, a whole chapter on the subject. And so, um, one of the ways you can understand the Bible better is to step out of our cultural ways of looking at bi biblical words and out of the various religious subcultures that we have, Roman Catholic, Evangelical, whatever, and look at the, the, how the Bible uses those words itself and how the apostles understood those words and so forth. And so uh, that's one of the things we're trying to do on the subject of salvation. Now, the, the, the verb for sozo, to be saved, is... The verb for sozo. The verb for saved is sozo. And uh, the uh, noun form is soteria. And from that, we get the branch of theology called soteriology. So um, what we're really doing is looking at the vocabulary of soteriology. However, we've moved kind of beyond the vocabulary. And now we're in this section 
about grace, we're trying to really say, well, how do we apply this? How do we walk in the salvation of God day by day? Because salvation is not, as it's been turned into in modern times, primarily being saved from hell and being delivered into heaven. Those are more the byproducts of what biblical salvation is, which is being saved from our sin and being recreated in Christ in order that you might enjoy eternal life and fellowship with Christ now and fulfill the purposes of God in, in the earth and enter into the body of Christ and its corporate mission. And then heaven is just a natural byproduct of that, much like graduation happens if you take all the right courses and get uh, certain kinds of grades and, and so forth, and graduation is the consequence of that. But, uh, but we don't just say, well, I, I really would like you to come to Wright State so you can graduate, or you, know, you, you might come to Cedarville or Wright State or whatever for a, a particular reason that has a lot more to do than graduating. So, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is many people talk about how the gospel has been sort of reduced in modern times. And what we're trying to do is put the full biblical content back into it. Big goal, but <clears throat> worth shooting for. Now, Roman numeral six is kind of, a, or our, our kind of our key word is actually under Roman numeral four for this particular section, but all who did receive him, to them he, to those who believed in his name, he gave the authority to become children of God. And the word exousia means both the power and the authority. You, can, you have to have both to have anything. If a policeman doesn't have any authority, but he has a gun, he would be maybe like a vigilante. But if he has authority and a badge and he's been sworn in and everything like that, but he doesn't have any power to enforce the laws, then that would be no good either. And what, what God gives you in the gospel is both the power and the authority uh, to, to, to live the life of Christ. So <clears throat> now, Roman numeral six, we're looking at grace. We're saying by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. One of the ways you can trace down any kind of performance-based thinking is where do the efforts initiate? And where, who sustains the efforts? And where do they culminate? So Christ has to be the author, the sustainer, and the perfecter of our faith. And any thinking that doesn't uh, derive from Christ's active, tangible, powerful presence by the Holy Spirit is theoretical abstract thinking and will get you nowhere. And that's a big part. Ever since the, the gospel started hitting the Greco-Roman culture, there's been a gradual trend to kind of Greekify the, the Christian faith and try to make it something that's theoretical and abstract instead of something that's experiential and practical. And proper theology, orthodoxy, must lead to orthopraxy. The theology must become incarnational. It's got to be, a, we have to be able to experience the grace and power of God in such a way that it radically transforms us. If you can't say, I've been radically transformed by the grace of God today and in the past, and I expect to continue to, to seek that, 
then you're not really operating biblically. So forth. So, um, then he goes on to say that we are his workmanship created. Now, the word actually there could be, depending on how you're looking at it, created or recreated. But it's not uh, just getting some therapy or adopting better morals or adopting a new way of life. It's becoming a new creation that leads to a total new life. And that's important. That's not only important, it's critical. We were recreated or created in Christ Jesus for good works. True grace will always lead to works. So we looked at, in Roman numeral 8, we looked at five approaches to grace plus works. And um, the proper one is the fifth one, grace plus grace or grace upon grace. The church is filled with these other kinds. And particularly... uh, uh, strong in our particular current cultural situation is number three and four, grace plus works. That's the whole Galatians crisis. Most, uh, you know, because the difficulty is, as a Christian, you do need to do this, this, and the other thing. But it's all a matter of who's initiating and where where's the grace and power and motivation and attitudes coming from. So, grace plus works tends to be a very big problem in both Roman Catholicism and evangelicalism. Grace plus licentiousness tends to be a very big problem in our culture right now that because of grace, I can just live any old way and do any old thing. And uh, there's, you know, an entire movement of people who say, well, I'm, we're the born-again unchurched people. You know, we've received Christ, but we don't live with Christ or, or fellowship with his people or, or serve Christ. But we punched a ticket to heaven. Hmm. Interesting. So we dealt with that. And then lastly on this page, we spent a, co- uh, a week looking at how do you discern these things in your own hearts? Uh, Deanna gave me a ride this morning because we try to have less cars down here. So, uh, so the more room in the parking lot. And uh, we were joking about a, an essay she wrote that she felt was a little too harsh or condemning and so forth. And, I, and we were just joking about how, like, um, you know, sometimes we assume we're under grace. But here's, how, here's one of the ways you can know. When you're... Um, Struggling with being not, not being grace-based, you'll be too self-righteous, you'll be too condemned, you'll be too harsh in your evaluations and judgments of others, you'll have a hard time uh, having your expectations of people not outweigh your appreciations of them, and you'll tend to fear what people think. And it's, you know, it's really something that you have to ask God to constantly help you uh, be delivered from and see because um, it kind of crops its head up. It's part of, as we're going to see when we flip the page, it's part of the nature of our flesh. And therefore, it can want to crop its head up uh, all the time. And so we have to ask God to help us. Sometimes we can think, ah, you know, I had a talk with somebody recently where they said, uh, in a spirit that wasn't quite right, he said, well, 
this person's performance-based and this person's performance-based, but they were saying it in a very performance-based spirit. And I was like, got a little chuck out of it, didn't address it, just said, okay, and <laughs> moved on. <laughs> uh, if you address everything that you need to address along the way, you'll die of exhaustion by the time you're 20. Um, so flip over, grace-based versus performance-mind-based. Uh, I'm not going to rework ourselves through the scriptures in Roman numeral 7, but we looked at last week, number A there, the roots of performance-based thinking. And the only thing I want to review there so that I can leave the rest of the time to get into the antidotes is simply this. Yes, there is, you know, my mother bit me when I was five syndrome in modern psychology. And, you know, I wasn't, I was very uh, raised in a performance-based environment and, and all that and sometimes that can actually be there can be inner hurts that need help and there can be deliverance and generational curses and all that but the thing you, you can't get away from is this is all rooted in our fallen nature and so the mind set on the flesh cannot please God but it can in a perverted sort of way want to please God as Paul is saying in Romans 7 the things I want to do, I don't do. You can, you can uh, when you're performance-based, have the right values in your mind and heart and so forth. You just uh, will be constantly in this situation where you don't measure up, and therefore you're, but you're too harsh on everyone else who doesn't measure up. <laughs> and uh, so that was... Uh, That's just the nature of that. So keep in mind that, uh, you know, more than the antinomian-based legalism, which some of you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Others may not. Uh, we're not going to review that now. But uh, more than all these other reasons, this is something that comes out of our fallen nature. And so it's something that has to be crucified with Christ every minute of every day. I need thee every hour. Okay, now, today, I've got almost a half hour left, so I did all better on a little bit. I always try to review because you have a lot of people come and go and so forth, so I always try to review a little. Today, we're going to lead, uh, get into kind of how uh, you walk in grace-based living. And so... I want to discuss uh, that going forward here. So that's about halfway down, point B, halfway down the back page. All right. Antidotes to performance-based mindsets, which another way to say it is keys to grace-based living. Now, I feel a little weird being in shorts and a T-shirt, but it's picnic day. Uh, <laughs> I'm not used to that anymore. So anyway... Um, one, one of the things that I want to make sure we understand is that the Bible talks about growing in grace. That Now, there's too many verses to even to put them on a page. But grace is something you grow in. And there's some things you kind of need to understand about grace. Number one is it's not merely conceptional. Grace is relational. The law was given through Moses... And he's not saying that the law was contrary to grace. 
The law was never meant to be attained by performance. The law was a was one of God's ongoing gracious acts for his people. But grace and truth were fully realized through Jesus Christ. So all grace comes out of having a this moment tangible spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. And in in John's version of the Last Supper, John 13 through 16, he covers all kind of subjects that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't cover in the, in the Last Supper because he's primarily covering that I'm going to go to be with the Father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm actually going to still be present with you and in you and through you and, I, and it's going to be every bit the same. It's a thing called continuationism. And I'm always going to have the same goals and the same purpose and the same mission. But I'm now going to do it through my church by the Holy Spirit. This is the reason the number one realm of spiritual warfare is to try to resist the person, power, and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because the more you experience the Holy Spirit the more you'll worship the Lordship of Christ. He came to bear witness to the Lordship of Christ. So, um, one of the things we need to understand is that God is working presently active by his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who brings us moment by moment the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and were to live out of the power of his resurrection. That's why Paul is concerned with the Corinthians, who I think is probably, you know, America is most similar to the Corinthians of any of the letters of the New Testament. And he's saying, you know, you guys walk like mere people. You're living like normal human beings. You just need a, you think you need a little churching up or something, but you need a radical new recreation and a radical new, new source of motivation, attitude, and life every minute of every day. You need to be a superhuman as Christ was a superhuman in the same way. And I couldn't, he's saying, I couldn't give you the meat of the word. I had to go back to giving you the milk of the word because you're acting like mere men like spiritual babies. If you look at your life and you honestly can look in the mirror and say, everything I do is something any old human person can do. That's not what God has in mind for the body of Christ. You should have lots of things you can look to that you say, apart from the grace of God, I could never have had this attitude or this motivation or done this deed or or been at this place or understood this or or whatever that should be something that's flowing through every part of your life and being therefore if any man is in Christ he's a new creation old things pass away behold new things have come now uh, as always, I put the, some alternate words from other translations in parentheses. 
and Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The Greek word there is metamorphumai. We use metamorphosis for what a for what a butterfly goes through. It means you're becoming a whole new kind of creature. into the same image from glory to glory. Every time you touch the glory of the Lord, when you're reading your Bible, when you're worshiping with the saints, when you're experiencing the ongoing present flow of his spirit, which is always flowing, every time you do that, it should be transformative. And what happens is simply this. There is kind of a permanent, residual, gradual change that's called sanctification. It begins after conversion, or maturation, which begins after conversion. And gradually, uh, you shouldn't recognize the old, whatever your name is, Greg or Bob or Tim or whatever, Sally. Uh, like the old Sally and the new Sally, they're not anywhere near similar in motivation, attitude, purpose, deeds, values, goals. Lifestyle. And in fact, uh, you should eventually have a testimony where peop if you told people what you used to be like, they wouldn't probably believe it. And by the way, that is very true of people who grew up in the church and didn't do like the modern evangelical favorite sins, like I didn't drink and chew and run around with the boys who do, or whatever kind of mentality. Um, you know, that should be true if you were an Eagle Scout, but then you came to know Christ, because you should know that you did it for all the wrong reasons, for all the wrong purposes, in fellowship with all the wrong spirits. Because you were supposed to do it from God, unto God, through God, to the glory of God. In the, in the first commandment is the, is, is the representative commandment of all the commandments. Because the first always represents the total in the Bible. The tithe represents the whole. The firstborn represents the whole family. That when you, uh, the first commandment, that you shall have another God besides me, is contained in all of the commandments. Or all of the commandments are contained in the first commandment. So you should experience this kind of a, you know, I'm hoping I'm getting this through, that over time, the grace of God should be a growing thing. So although we never reach our destination, because the destination is Christ, if we were to look back, it would look like, wow, we've come so far. That's the mistake churches make. That's the mistake individuals make, is they only look back. Because the only value of looking back is to see the grace and faithfulness of God. And to know if he took you through those things, he'll take you through the next, you know, terrible terrain that you're about to, dangerous territory that you're about to go through. And... Uh, and the, but what we have to do is keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And from that perspective, I've only progressed like, 
a millimeter or something. I, I, you know, it, the progress is real, but Christ is the destination. And that's why by the grace of God, what you have to try to ask God to help you do over time is get less results-based and get more enjoying the process-based. Because, you know, I have a pastor friend who says, uh, we're all... Uh, recovering Pharisees. You know, the truth is we're all recovering all the time from the fall of man. Okay, so hopefully hopefully these these are kind of foundational concepts. It's important to understand the grace, you need grace every minute, every day, even though there will be residual changes that are permanent. Okay? So Orthodoxy must lead to orthopraxy. Let's move on. Antidote one. Uh, the four gospels and acts. Now, what, why would I say that's the antidote? Because um, today we have kind of two areas of the world that have two kinds of Christianity that are different. You know, we think we have Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Reformed and Evangelical. That's kind of the four big traditions of thinking in the church, you might say. But the truth is, right now, uh, most Eastern and Western Christianity is kind of similar. And what they, the outpouring of the Spirit and what they, they call the Global South, but it's misnamed because it's Central America, South America, and, South, and all of Africa, which is globally South, but it's also the Far East and China, which isn't that south. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Singapore is a little south of China. India and a little south of India. You know, in India and it's South Korea and, and so forth. So, but here's, here's the bottom line that you need to have some help with. Ancient Christians and what they call the global south, the outpouring of the spirit where the church is exploding... Most Christians think of the Gospels and Acts as the foundation of Scripture and the normative example of what it means to be Christian. Okay? Now, that was how the apostles thought of things. That's how the early church thought of things. The reason, uh, you know, Stephen and I, uh, Jason took us through a, a whole series last year on... Uh, on uh, the book of Acts in, in Rock Campus Fellowship at Wright State. Stephen and I cheated. Uh, no, we studied ahead of time, that's all. <laughs> you know, you can, you can read the chapters ahead of time, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're allowed. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we, one of the things we did is we read St. John Chrysostom's lectures on the book of Acts, which are really long. But what he was concerned about in the 4th century was, um, or the later 3rd and fourth, early 4th fourth century, was that the book of Acts was gradually not being looked at as foundationally as the church had looked at it. And it was starting to fall into a little disuse. You actually hear people today say things like, you can't use the book of Acts as normative foundation, or you can't uh, get doctrine from it, or <laughs> That's nonsense. It's the word of God. And the word of God, as Jesus said, cannot be broken. It can't be divided and like that. 
we have a God of history who's outside and above history, who created history to do his eternal decree or his eternal covenant. Hebrews 13, 20 talks about the blood of the eternal covenant. God has always been working toward a preordained, foreknown purpose, and he works through history. Therefore, the foundational books of the Old Testament are the first 17 historical books. And what the prophets were doing was not trying to give you stuff so you could watch the TV end times guys and get weird ideas about Russian helicopters or whatever. But uh, they were trying to call the people of God back to covenant faithfulness to what Moses had laid down. And of course, all the prophets, including Moses, the Spirit of Christ that is the Holy Spirit within them was seeking to reveal Christ. As Peter brings out. So, what I'm trying to get at for you is antidote one is simply this. Starting after the Civil War in Western Europe, in America, there became, as we've talked about many times, this Controversy called the fundamentalist modernist controversy. But both of them created a modernism. And so what began to be understood in the West is that the epistles are the foundation, not the gospels or the book of Acts. And we began to develop theological paradigms to help us get comfortable with the fact that our Christianity doesn't look very much like the Gospels and Acts. That has become the predominant theology taught in uh, seminaries today. Both liberal and conservative. For different, they have different reasons why they think it does, isn't supposed to look like the book of Acts or the Gospels. But the church never thought that in the first five or six centuries. And neither should the church think that today because our God is a God of history and and the events of Christ in the early church happened in real history and they are our patterns and our models. Christ will always be our number one model. And secondarily, he gave us prophets and apostles that are our secondary models. And... You know, people think, well, Paul had some special calling. I shouldn't try to be like Paul. Why not? That's just humanistic nonsense. Masquerading as Christian. So, boy, I'm only at point one. That's why I love Tuesday nights. I get an hour and a half on Tuesday nights. You can't say anything in 45 minutes, or at least I can't. <laughs> uh, some people can. Now, th- this, is, this is absolutely critical. If you have the various theological paradigms that are sort of used to explain why God isn't the same today, why Jesus Christ isn't the same yesterday, today, and and he doesn't do things the same way, and he doesn't have the same, then you have the same paradigms the Pharisees had. See, they thought the Holy Spirit only does miracles 
when God is giving a new revelation, so he did miracles through Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, but never through anyone else, which is not true if you read the Old Testament. And therefore, they said, uh, Moses we know, but who are you? What is this Jesus doing all this stuff for? But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, the way you know that it's of the Holy Spirit is because it glorifies the Lordship of Christ. When Jesus did miracles, people didn't go, praise be to Allah. Thank you, Buddha. Wow, isn't the devil great? No. They, it's, it, all through the Gospels, it says the people rejoiced and glorified God. Now, I totally understand that we have some very poor understandings of the church and ecclesiology and of how ministries work that cause a lot of people who are anointed of God and do things to, t to be looking to have too much self-advancement spirit and too much self-glorification spirit and so forth, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's a huge problem. But that doesn't mean Jesus has changed or the way he does redemption has changed. A salvation that isn't miraculous is no salvation at all. And if it isn't ongoingly miraculous today, it's no salvation at all. Now, I already talked a little bit about theoria versus praxis. That is, there's two, you know, there's... The Greeks had these two ideas, theoria, from which we get theory from, praxis, which we get practical and pragmatic, things like that from, practice. Uh, there is this tendency to try to kind of separate. You know, I, I meet with a young man who's very disturbed, and he has a lot of psychological problems and a lot of demonic problems, and his life is truly a mess. And, like, his big deal is, like, well, I prayed a sinner's prayer, so I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But there's nothing in his heart that actually wants to follow God or know God. So you tell me. You know, what we're talking about in these antidotes is mindsets, orientations, foundations. I hope you're familiar with the word paradigms because I used too much time getting here, so I can't develop. I wanted to develop the words paradigms and axioms and postulates, but we'll, many of you know I talk about those all the time. All right, antidote two, Paul's letter to the Galatians, as well as Romans. Paul is often called the Apostle of Grace, and he's also called the Apostle of the Holy Spirit, as well as the Apostle to the Gentiles. He wears more than one hat. Imagine that. Some of you wear many hats and can understand. So, Galatians was written because of the flesh's tendency to start by grace and then reassert I'm perfecting myself by performance. And that's why in Romans 10, Paul says, I bear witness to the, my heart and my compassion is for, for, for the Israelites because I bear witness that they have a, 
zeal for God, but not in accordance with revelation or knowledge because not knowing about God's righteousness, they not submitting to God's righteousness, that's an important word, but they're seeking to establish their own. Religion and the flesh love to seek to establish our own righteousness. And you'll know if you're doing that because you'll be extra harsh and extra judgmental on anyone who doesn't measure up to your standards if they don't have the right haircut. I'm just jealous that people actually still have hair. I don't care if it's long, you know, like if it's long, short, I don't care anymore. Just if you, you know, like, if man, you know, this guy's hairline's not even receding. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm judging that guy. So, um, number three, get baptized in the Holy Spirit and grow continually in the Holy Spirit and be empowered by and be aware of Him. Now, I purposely, per, personally, we believe and teach at this church that everyone can have a prayer language called speaking in tongues in, in the New Testament and that that's edifying and it's um, speaking the mysteries of God and it's giving thanks and, and all kinds of things. But the bottom line is this, whether you embrace that or not, you know, we would be glad to do some Bible studies with you and very seldom have we ever done a, had someone really examine all the evidence with us that hasn't been convinced. But the most important thing is, you know, I never thought we'd live to see this day, but we're living in a time where lots of people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit don't get refreshed and refilled by the Holy Spirit every day and don't live by the power of the Spirit. And so they might have that tool available, but they're basically a fleshly, carnal Christian. Now that's rampant um, in all kinds of Christians who believe in, in the second encounter with the Holy Spirit and, and those who don't. Many still just walk according to the flesh. So one of the things you need to understand is in Acts 4, when they prayed, it says the room was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with much boldness. And all the people that were in that room were the people filled with the Holy Spirit in the two waves of Pentecost Day in Acts 2. So you need to be filled and refilled and refilled and filled and refilled and refilled and filled some more and drink some more, so forth, because we leak. But... You've got, to, you've got to humble yourself before God every day, reorient yourself toward grace, and be freshly filled with the presence of God. Don't read the Bible just to check off your five chapters for the day or whatever, but have an encounter with God where his word is speaking to you, and you're pouring your heart out to him, and he's using you to intercede and, and so forth, and you're... God has given you by the Holy Spirit thoughts that you know, like, wow, I could have never seen that without the power of God. And here, I've read this scripture 50 times, but now, wow. That, you got to have that every day. Because the word of God is living, and it's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It should bring you to, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God should bring you to repentance every day. You should be under deep conviction every day. And humbling yourself deeply every day. 
That's how you live by grace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's a person. I don't, I hope you understand this. You know, my first Christian message was in uh, August 21st, 1974, at my little brother's funeral. And there's a way that God will be with you as a comforter and refill you all the time. Six people came to Christ that night, and I had just read the New Testament one time. I hadn't even quit drugs yet. Although I did within a week or two of that, because God was starting to move in my life. But, I mean, all I knew was God was going to use this for his glory, and I'd read the New Testament one time and parts of the Old Testament. I was as baby Christian as baby Christians get. I not only couldn't change my own diapers, I didn't even know I needed my diapers changed. <laughs> Some of you have babies and can relate to that. Grief is one of the deepest of human emotions. Like you really know that you love someone and you know them and you're walking in community with them when they can kind of touch the level of grief that you feel. If you really want to know the Holy Spirit, be able to get to a place with him where you know when he's grieved. And where his grief causes you to cry over and pray over and intercede over many people all the time. Not judgmentally or not without deeply understanding that there but by the grace of God go you. Number four, I'm out of time. I'm, so I'm, I wish I could develop this one. Properly understand law and grace. There was never a time in the Bible where the law was meant to be performed. But the law is still the righteousness of God. And Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to put it into force, the Greek means. Jesus came to empower you to live the law. So that you will not only not commit adultery, you won't want to commit adultery. You... You won't not only want to quit murdering, you won't be angry person anymore. Etc. Lastly, daily use the gospel to reposition yourself in grace-based thinking and experience. Um, there are scriptures there, and I wish I could uh, develop them. But you've got to start every day with understanding that apart from the grace of God, there's nothing good that dwells in me, Romans 7, 18. Nothing. I wasn't like a good person, and then I needed a little churching up. I don't care if you got straight A's, you always went to church, and you never looked at internet pornography, and you haven't killed anyone, you didn't steal, rob any cars or whatever. You were not a good person. And there's nothing good that dwells in us apart from the active participation in the resurrection of Christ every minute of every day, which we are desperate for in a good way. So grace is sufficient. I love 2 Corinthians 12 there because it's simply this. You know, our culture tells you to want to win and 
achieve and conquer and so forth. I think you're much better off just starting off by saying, apart from the grace of God, I'm a loser, I'm not an achiever, I'm wrongly motivated, I can't be disciplined, I can't get organized, I can't, whatever. Humble yourself and let whatever great life is coming through you be as a result of walking in the active participation in his resurrection by the Holy Spirit. So hopefully this is helpful. Um, you know, we have kind of a way of thinking in our churches to end simply as this. You know, what we try to do from the pulpit is equip you to know the Bible better for yourself. The other thing we try to do is understand as we teach general theology that will help you in that way. But we also have a Christian community. And the community is a discipling community. And we have people who have been trained and equipped to disciple. And so work out the things you hear from the pulpit in your private study with God and in your relationships, especially with people further along on the path than yourself. So if you didn't get everything I'm saying the last three weeks, I do have to move on to another topic next week. We're going to look at what justification really means, not what it is currently thought to mean. And uh, so, but this is, I, I, I'm eventually going to add this to our 16-part grace, grace series that we do and that we try to get everyone in our church to listen to. I, I don't know if there's anything more foundationally helpful than this. If you don't, if you walk by performance base, your life will be death, frustration, whatever. You've got to walk by active participation in the resurrected life of Christ based on grace. And you've got to experience the gracious one all the time. And that will lead to the abundant life that, that God wants you to participate in because he wants you to be part of his mission in, in his church. Amen.